ask now that we would continue to worship you, Lord, in the teaching of your word. I pray, Father, that the things that happened to us this week that are just pushing us away from you, Lord God, those memories, those thoughts, those burdens that we carry, and we just surrender, surrender them to you, Lord, laying them at your throne, Father, so that we can see you fully, completely, Lord. I ask for words of knowledge, words of wisdom from your throne. We love you, Father. We praise you. We thank you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Why don't you guys say hi to somebody next to you, and then you guys can take a seat. Welcome. Uh, we are in Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, if you want to start turning your Bibles there. A couple announcements. Uh, this Friday, uh, we are going to be meeting again for the, the men's fellowship. Um, come in and join us. We're going through the book of Ephesians, and it's been exciting. Also, uh, you guys could keep this in prayer, um, but we are going to be starting Wednesday nights pretty soon here. Uh, and we're planning on the, the 4th of July. Oh, I'm sorry, the 4th of July. The end of July. Um, to get those set up. Uh, so if you guys would like to start joining us on Wednesday nights, we're going to come out with a date pretty soon here. But yeah, we're going get to st get started on our, on our Wednesday night study, which uh, I'm pretty excited for. So we got the Sunday morning here at 11. You're going to have Wednesday nights coming up towards the end of July. And then Friday night, guys, uh, come on out, invite some friends. Uh, we've been blessed with uh, our, our group sessions. And then... Um, also with that, if this is um, your, your home church, if you feel like this is a, a, a church that you are being blessed by and you want to give, uh, there's, you guys, um, there's some easy ways to do that off of the Zal app. Um, we also have the um, Agape box in the back if you would like to give that way too. Um, if this is, uh, you guys are visiting, feel free to just come and enjoy and be blessed. Um, we don't want to... Uh, ask for money, we do leave it open to receive. So with that being said, uh, if you guys have your Bibles to Luke's Gospel chapter 9, I'm, re I'm excited about chapter 9. I didn't know how, uh, how in-depth and how full chapter 9 was going to be until I actually started studying through it uh, because first of all, there's quite a bit of verses. There's 62 verses in chapter 9 and I was thinking I would go through this in may maybe two weeks. But after seeing all these different accounts that Jesus has in this chapter, we, we've been going in-depth on chapter 9 of, of where Jesus is at, uh, of what he's doing, and of the impact that he's had on his disciples. Uh, the last few studies, we were speaking heavily on discipleship. And we saw that there's this road to discipleship where all these men who are following after Jesus, he's pouring into them these lessons so that they can become more like him and so that they can see the kingdom of God lived out in their life. Last week, if you guys remember, one of the things that Jesus said to his disciples that there was going to be men 
who were standing there among him that would not see death until they see the kingdom of God. And what's kind of confusing is like, wait, all those disciples, though, who were following Jesus, they died. How could Jesus say that they wouldn't see death until they saw the kingdom of God? Well, here in this very next portion of scripture, right after Jesus says that, we have Jesus transfigured on the mount. I titled my study today, Seeing Jesus. And this is what some of the disciples got to do. They got to behold the glorious Jesus, not just as the man, but they saw his divinity come out. And that's what we're going to study out. This has always been a mysterious chapter for me. The transfiguration. Jesus transfigured on the mountain. What, what, what was the, the meaning behind it? Why did it happen? How would you guys imagine seeing Jesus face to face, first of all, just in the flesh? Imagine he's standing before you just the way I'm standing before you now. You could see Jesus and what, what that would do to your emotion, your, your mind, your heart. But now to see Jesus transfigured, to see the light of God, that his divinity shine forth through his body. Like, whoa. What it would be to see Jesus. You know, I, I think sometimes we, we wish like, man, if I could have seen it, if I could have been there, how, how different my life would, have, would be or maybe I, I'd be a little bit more uh, just dedicated to the word if I would have saw Jesus. But Jesus said, blessed are those who believe without seeing. So this is where we're at. So I want to read first this portion of scripture that we're reading. Verses 28 in Luke chapter 9. It says, now it came to pass about eight days after these sayings that he took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. As he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered. His robe became white and glistening, and behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. But Peter and those who were with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Then it happened as they were parting from him that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. While he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were fearful as they encountered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. What a mysterious chapter. What is the meaning behind all this? What did the disciples experience and how did it impact their life? These are questions I have for myself. So let's dive into it, beginning again with verse 28. It says, Now it came to pass, about eight days after these sayings, that he took Peter, John, and James, 
and went up to the mountain to pray. So whenever you say after these sayings, I have to look at after what sayings? What was Jesus first talking to them about? In the verses before, we, we did a whole study on taking up the cross and following after Jesus. There was that, that process that if, we, if you wanted to be Jesus' disciple, first there had to be a desire to be his disciple, and then there had to be a denial of yourself. And then there, you had to die to yourself. He said, pick up your cross daily. That's every day to die to yourself, to let the old man, those sinful ways, pass away. And then lastly, to follow him, to mimic him, to be with him. This is what it required to take up and follow him. And then Jesus hit him with a statement. Some of you guys are going to see the kingdom of God before you die. And they're like, whoa, how, how is that possible? He didn't say all of you. He said some. And now here before this glorious appearance of the kingdom of God that Jesus talked about, eight days have passed. I, I, I noticed that Luke mentions like it was only eight days later that this happened. And Jesus said some of them would see the kingdom of God. So Jesus took his best pals of the disciples. I, I call them PJ and J, Peter, James, and John. The same men who were with him at the raising of Jairus' daughter and the same men who also were with him when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. There used to be a saying that Peter was one of these three because he loved his master much. That John was another because his master loved him much. And that James was the third because he was soon to die a martyr. Now, I don't know if you could take that as completely as gospel truth because I, I shouldn't say that Peter loved Christ more than John did. Peter was open-hearted and, and, and bold, and he had vision. But Peter, like many of us, had what is called foot-in-mouth syndrome, where oftentimes he would just say things out of emotion, and, and, and he didn't know what to say, and, and oftentimes it would get him into trouble. He was emotional and impulsive, but I like that about Peter. Well, here's why, because now I can relate to Peter. But I also see in Peter, there's a fire in him. You see, John the Beloved, who John titles himself in the Gospels, John the Beloved, and he's writing it about himself. He was to lie on, on Jesus' chest, and he was set also to care for Jesus' own mother, Mary. He saw the resurrected Jesus here on the Mount of Transfiguration. And this is all preparation because, again, when Jesus calls John the Beloved to be out there in the islands by himself, the island of Patmos, when he's writing the book of Revelation, he's going to see Jesus again there and Jesus is going to talk to him. On the testimony of two or three witnesses, could one sufficiently establish a case in a court of law? And who do we see with Jesus as he's transfigured? Peter, James, and John. I note off just this first verse, as they joined him, what were they going to go do? He said, let's go pray. When you study Jesus' prayer time in the Bible, man, did this guy love to get alone with the Father. And you're thinking, this is God. Jesus is God. And yet, at the same time, he needed and desired to have that time where he got alone to pray. 
The Gospels, Mark and Luke in particular, note Jesus going off for not just prayer with everyone, but for private prayer. In Mark chapter 1, verses 34 and 35, you don't need to turn there, I'll read it to you. This is after he, Jesus, healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. In the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. So we see after Jesus was doing a lot of ministry, what did he do? He went alone to pray. And then again in Luke's gospel, chapter 5, verse 15 and 16, it says, Great multitudes came together to hear and to be healed by him of their infirmities. So he himself often withdrew into the wilderness and prayed. I like that. I feel like that's a word of the Lord for me that I need to go on my surfboard alone for a little bit and just get out there in the waves and pray. Maybe that's a little bit selfish, but I think <laughs> the Lord... <laughs> the same time does like it when I get alone to pray. Maybe for you guys, it's your car ride to work. Maybe for you, uh, there's a, a walk, a trail nearby that you like to go on, maybe just to kind of clear some steam. But in those times, may we be praying to the Lord. And may we seek that time out. May we make room for it. Do you guys remember after they multiplied all the loaves of bread? Jesus did. That great miracle, and in Mark chapter 6, verses 45, it says this, He made his disciples then get into a boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he sent the multitude away. And when he had sent them away, he departed to the mountain to pray. So Jesus also, we find in scriptures that before he made important decisions, he would get alone to pray. In Luke chapter 6, it says, Now it came to pass in those days that he went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called his disciples to himself, and from them he chose the twelve. You see, when you're, you're appointing people to take over responsible tasks in your life, pray. That's what Jesus was doing before he chose the twelve. He went, he got alone, and he prayed. And I think he was praying for them. I think he was praying. I think he possibly, this theory, he had in his heart, his mind, who, who he knew was going to be his disciples. And now he's praying, Lord, help Peter. He's going to be a knucklehead. Father, give him grace. Bring him back to me. See, after Jesus found out his relative, John the Baptist, was martyred, was beheaded. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 13, when Jesus heard it, he departed from there by a boat to a deserted place by himself. You see, when Jesus was saddened, when he, he was hurt at the loss of his loved one, he got alone to, to pray. And we also see, we know Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, alone, he again called his close disciples with him, but then went by himself. You see, this is the importance of prayer. We need communion with God. We need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit in our life through prayer. Because with that comes repentance and with that comes miracles. We need direction and we don't need a direct God in prayer. 
We don't need to say, God, I, I need, in order for this to happen, I need you first to take care of, of my bills. I need you to take care of my family. And then I need you to provide for this. And then that Lord will provide me so that I can make it to church on time. No, we need to ask God to direct us in our prayers. Sometimes we think we know, okay, God, if you would just do move this over here, these puzzle pieces, these chess pieces on the chessboard, then it'll work out for me. And God's like, no, 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 no. My ways are high and way above your ways. So we need to have direction from the Lord. And then, most importantly, we need to have a relationship with our Lord. To have fellowship with him. Too often are we like Martha who's so busy with much serving and we need to be like Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus. Again, look at verse 28. He took Peter, John, and James and went up on the mountain to pray. Verse 29, as he prayed, the appearance of his face was altered and his robe became white and glistening. You see, in Matthew's gospel, the word used for altered, it's the word transfigured. And the Greek for that literally means to change into another form. The flesh of Jesus was being overtaken by the divine glory of his deity. His clothes were changed. In Mark's gospel, it records that his clothes became shining exceedingly white like no like snow such as no launderer on earth can whiten them have you ever seen the, the snow so bright where it, it's it's literally blinding you know snowboarders they have to wear these re reflective visors because the whiteness of the snow from the mountain it, it'll burn their eyes out because it's so bright so they have to have those visors on this light that was coming from Jesus was brighter, was beyond that. You see, while Jesus was on the earth, he was as much divine before he left his father's court in heaven. Now, this is something interesting about Jesus because sometimes we, we think of him of like, he's like this Hercules, half God, half man. No, Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And that was the, the miracle of the word becoming flesh of God, Jesus humbling himself and taking on the form of what I like to call this, my meat bag. And then he had to deal with all the, the suffering that our bodies carried with it, the humility. Now, this is the first time the disciples are recorded seeing anything like this here. But how often did we just read of Jesus going alone to prayer? We went over that. Now, what was it, do you think, made the soldiers fall back to the ground when Jesus said, I am, in the Garden of Gethsemane? Do you think it was just like the volume was too loud and they fell back? Or do you think it was the divine glory of Jesus being revealed in that moment where they had to fall backwards? Remember Jesus spoke to his disciples in John eight twelve. He said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. You see, even Jesus being the light of the world, 
as he was getting alone in, in prayer, is now preparing for this moment, and then suddenly the divine glory of God is shining through him. May that be in our life. May we go to seek God alone. How often we, we neglect prayer because it's something that we don't see the literal action of things moving in our life. We, yet at the same time, if we would just go there first, we wouldn't often end up feeling like we're on our last resort. See, two things that we're never going to fully understand until we're in heaven, which the apostles were witness to, is number one, the glory of Jesus here transfigured on the mountain. And number two, the passion of Jesus crucified on the cross. When you think about that, these disciples were witness to that. Here, first of all, the Messiah came into their life. Like, man, this is the guy we've been waiting for. This is our, our dreams are coming true or, or the Messiah has come to, to redeem us, to break free from Rome. And then they're there and they see now the, the glory shining out of Jesus' face there as he's being transfigured on the mountain. And they're like, oh my goodness, that is the Messiah. This is for sure the Savior. Like, the, it's all going to work out. And that, that joy that was overcoming them. But we know at the en end of the gospel, towards the end of the gospel, his disciples then had to see him beaten, a bag put on his head, the light not shining, but blood on his face, nails in his hands, his feet, and there on the cross. And then they saw the passion that was poured out as Jesus was there, with any moment, Jesus could have said, that's it. I'm, I'm, I'm going to break these, these nails that are on my hand and the glory of God is going to shine out and destroy all of my enemies. But Jesus said, no, I'm going to endure it because of you guys, because of you here today. For us, for the world, the sins of the world. You see, we won't fully understand that. But I know that one day we will. You see, now though Jesus' face was altered, it wasn't changed in, in nature. The, the transfigured Christ, he's the same Savior whom the apostles had known before. You see, Jesus, he's going to be the same Savior in heaven who knew his disciples here on earth and who knows you now today. Christians, this morning, believers, and unbelievers, if you're here, do you know Christ? We believers will know him in eternity, and for the unbeliever, you can know him in eternity. He offers that to you. You see, the same Jesus that we trusted with the cross will when we see him with many crowns still be our loving savior. He's going to remember us in his kingdom to come. When we behold his glory in heaven, he's going to be the same familiar Jesus 
that we were in our prayer closets with, who was here with us, who's going to be with us forever. And even with this, all the, that's right in the universe, all the light in the universe, it can't compare, compare to the light that shines from Jesus. You see, we can't comprehend fully how glorious our God is. You see, if we were to see the, the, the glory of God right now, the beautification of our Lord, it would be like that scene at the end of the Indiana Jones Raiders of the Lost Ark scene when they all just start melting and their faces blow up. The reason being is because God is so beautiful, the most beautiful thing that we won't be able to take it in. Our, our fleshly bodies won't be able to take it. God is going to have to give us a new body. And we look forward to those. Even Peter wrote, after spending so much time with Jesus, he wrote that I may know him. Remember Moses, he had his face illuminated when he went to go talk to God and the glory would fade away from Moses' face. You see, the glory shined on Moses and then eventually that it started to fade away off of him. But Jesus, the glory shined out of Jesus. A lesson for us is may we reflect the glory of Jesus. May his son, his image, his will, his desires, may they reflect. You see, when people look at us, I have to ask us, do they see the glory of Jesus? Speaking of Moses, let's look at verse 30. It says in verse 30, And behold, Two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So now there's two other characters brought into this moment when Jesus is there transfigured. Moses and Elijah. Moses, you guys remember Moses. We did a whole Wednesday night study on the life of Moses. Which, by the way, I still want to have a movie night where we watch the, the Moses cartoon with all the kids. So that should be coming up. Moses, the man we studied, whom God revealed himself through a burning bush, chose Moses to liberate the Israelites from Egypt. And then remember, after they were delivered through many miracles that God performed through Moses. Moses then asked God in Exodus, Exodus 33, he said, please show me your glory. But God said, you cannot see my face for no man shall see me and live. And then God allowed Moses to see his afterglow, which made Moses' face shine. And then afterwards, you remember Moses and the Israelites, they wandered in the wilderness. And they were in need of water. And God told Moses to go to the rock and speak to the rock. That water may come forth. And what did Moses do? Because he was hot-headed. He got angry at the Israelites and he struck the rock. So God called Moses. He said, hey, Moses, I saw what you just did there. Come on, let's have a little powwow. And he said, look, what you did isn't good. You misrepresented me. To your people, you made it look like I was angry with the Israelites and I wasn't. 
So Moses then was not allowed to take the children of Israel into the promised land because of this. And that lesson is don't, let's not misrepresent God. In Deuteronomy verses 30, I'm sorry, chapter 34, verse 5 and 6, you don't need to turn there. Speaking of Moses, it says, So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord, and God buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, opposite of Beth Peor, but no one knows his grave to this day. So now, now note this, believer, that Moses was chastened, and the chastening that Moses experienced of not being able to take the Israelites into the promised land, that had to be a, a very great loss in Moses' heart and mind. Think about it. He was almost 120, he was 120 years old, leading the Israelites all the way over there, getting so close, and then God's like, nope, sorry, man. This is your punishment. And Moses begged with him, and God even said, look, I'm not going to listen to you on this any, topic anymore. Man, sounds like a, a father, right? And after all that time, that chastening w- was a hard lesson for Moses to learn. But what do we see now in this chapter that we're reading? Where is Moses? Where is Moses with Jesus? I'll give you guys a hint. He's there in the promised land. Yes, he, he's now already died and and brought back from the grave. But this is the grace of God in Moses' life right here. Moses was that forerunner, forerunner of the law of God. He delivered the Ten Commandments to Israel. When the Jews think of the law, they think of Moses. And here Moses is with Jesus. And who else? Elijah. Who's Elijah? Old Testament prophet, known very well to be one of the great prophets of our Old Testament. Elijah represents the prophets who were all to give the word of the Lord to Israel. Elijah was that prophet who contended with the prophets of Baal and rained fire down from heaven, who spoke out against kings and would pray for the Lord to stop the rain and the rain would cease. When Elijah finished his calling, Instead of having to die, the Lord sent a chariot of fire from heaven to receive his servant Elijah into eternity. So Elijah never experienced death. Jesus said, On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. That was that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and that you'd love your neighbor as yourself. But the, what, the point in that is that he would say all these have the, all the law and the prophets. The law would be represented by Moses. The prophets represented by Elijah. Now many people, they theorize that perhaps here Moses and Elijah are going to be those same two witnesses in the future tribulation. We'll practice uh, turning our Bibles a little bit this morning. Go to Revelation chapter uh, 11. Revelation 11. There is going to come a time in the future when two witnesses are sent to the world, are sent to the Israelites too. 
to proclaim the glory of God in the great tribulation. So what I recognize is that there are going to be people who get saved during, during the great tribulation. But in Revelation chapter 11, let's look at verse 3. It says, I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. Look at verse 6. These have power to shut heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. And they have power over waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. You see, these, we don't know exactly who they are. Some think maybe Moses and Elijah. Some even think perhaps Enoch because Enoch also never died. But they're going to be witnesses. And this is, again, we, we see Jesus with these two men, Elijah and Moses. What are they preparing for? Go back to Luke's gospel. Luke chapter 9. In Luke chapter 9, verse 30, again we will read, it says, And behold, two men talked with him, who were Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory and spoke of his decease, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. And what was their conversation about? About Jesus' crucifixion. The word literally means Jesus' exodus. Of all the things that they could have asked Jesus about, they desired to know his plan for saving the world, for saving you and me. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, you don't need to turn there, I'll read this to you out of the New Living Translation. It says, This salvation was something even the prophets wanted to know more about when they prophesied about this gracious salvation prepared for you. They wondered what time or situation the Spirit of Christ within them was talking about when he told them in advance about Christ's suffering and his great glory afterward. They were told that their messages were not for themselves, but for you. And now this good news has been announced to you by those who preached in the power of the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. It is also wonderful that even the angels are eagerly watching these things happen. You see, that's something super cool. The angels, because they're already set, that they're eternal servants of the Lord, they look at us and they wonder, man, how, these guys have such a blessing of grace in their life. And they desire to know more about the salvation of human beings because it's a mystery to them. The angels, the spiritual battlefield that's going on that we can't even see it at times, battling for our hearts, our minds, and they want us to be looking at Jesus. They want our attention, our focus to be on him. 
And where did that salvation came from? The cross. Jesus died on the cross for you and I personally, that we might have a relationship with God, that we can live in eternity with him forever and ever. You see, do you guys think heaven is going to be boring? Because let me tell you guys, when I was a non-believer, I was like, I don't know, because what are you going to do? Just sing Kumbaya upstairs all, all day? And then from what I've heard, there, there's no marriage bed in heaven anymore. So it's like, come on. No, there's no ocean, so surfing is like gone. But when I became a Christian, I became a believer, and found out about who Jesus is, that he was going to be with us for eternity. See, Jesus is going to be the most emotional, the most realistic, the most something you can feel, the most wild experience, the most amazing and, and beautiful experience that you will have physically, emotionally, spiritually, all at the same time. Think, uh, think of the greatest thing that you've done here. The most joyous and exhilarating experience is nothing in comparison to what Jesus is going to be with you in heaven. And Jesus, him, he himself will be that most awesome experience that we're going to be worshiping him. And, and I, I, don't, I don't believe that it's just going to be just that. I believe that there's going to be things that we're doing there in eternity with the Lord because he is so powerful for eternity. He is all-knowing. He's all-wise. And we're going to be learning of, of his wisdom, learning of his love, and learning of, of his truth forever. And we're going to become closer and closer to Jesus. That's the most amazing thing about heaven. It's Jesus himself there with us. Now you take that truth that I just shared with you guys and you implement that in the situation that you're in, the trial that you're in, that Jesus is the most amazing physical, spiritual, emotional experience that you will ever have and you apply that to the trial that you're in. You need Jesus. He sets you free. He allows that peace that hope, that truth to come into your mind when we're lost, when we're, when we're hurting. You see, we can have those experiences with Jesus. Now we, we do only get that glimpse, but one day that veil is going to be completely taken away and we will see him fully and completely. Look at verse 32. But Peter and those with him were heavy with sleep. And when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men who stood with him. Now, how or why these men were asleep for a part of this meaning, I'm not sure. You know, maybe it was some crazy spiritual experience where it just was like, oh, or maybe they were just tired literally and weren't paying attention to their Jesus. But Jesus was perhaps in prayer for some time. Maybe he was there for, for some hours where they're just like, all right, Jesus is doing his thing right now. But recognize it was not until they were fully awake that they saw his glory. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says this, Therefore, he says, Awake, you who sleep. 
arise from the dead and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. A lesson for us this morning. Wake up, church. And we need to tell ourselves that. Wake up. Some of us have been spiritually asleep, which is the same as spiritually dead. But may our Lord Jesus quicken us. May we see him fully. In verse 33, it says, Then it happened, as they were parting from him, that Peter said to Jesus, Master, it is good for us to be here. And let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not knowing what he said. See, so often when we don't know what to say, we just speak out of turn. We, we say things that we shouldn't. And like I said, we put our foot in our mouth. Perhaps Peter at this moment just felt Okay, this, this is it. This is the, the, the mountaintop experience. Let's stay here. Let's not go anywhere else, Jesus. Let's, we're going to make a tabernacle for you and for Elijah and for Moses. Forget about the death to self. Yeah, yeah, that was, that was last week. We don't need that anymore. We got you now, and this is glorious. We can live this way, glorified with Jesus all the time. But Peter was mistaken. First of all, he made Jesus equal with Moses and Elijah, which Jesus is not. Jesus is God. But here's another lesson for you guys this morning. You can't live on the mountaintop experience. So many times in my life, especially when I was a a, a new believer, I would go away for a retreat and and I would feel like, man, God just blessed me and I I heard him and it was like, yes, like this is awesome. And then I, I, I would come back and then suddenly it's like the reality here. It's got to go back to work. And it's just like, oh, man, like I just want to be away at the retreat like the whole time. And, and God's like, no, this is where I've called you. I've called you over here. And then there'd be times when I would go away to a retreat and I'd be expecting, all right, God, I'm going to start feeling tingly right now. I'm going to feel the, the Holy Spirit tingles, which isn't a thing. I'm just saying that. I, w- I would expect some sort of crazy experience where the Shekinah glory of God was going to like open up the room and I was going to see Jesus like face to face. And then it would just be like worship. The Lord gave me a message through the word. And I was like, man, I, maybe we need to add more candles to the room next time and dim the lights. And that will really bring the experience in. And God told me, no, like, I don't leave you. I'm always with you. God is with us 100% of the time. We need to be more open to him. You see, we can't just live on the mountaintop. God has called us to be a light to this world. In verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud came and overshadowed them and they were fearful as they entered the cloud. See this cloud? This is the Shekinah glory of God. The cloud that led the Israelites through the wilderness. This is God's glory. The disciples went from being asleep to then being in awe and then now suddenly they're afraid. 
And then in verse 35, it says, And a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son. Hear him. See, this is the relationship God had. The creator of the heavens and the earth to Jesus. God doesn't call Jesus here a servant or prophet. He calls him his own personal son. You see, other writers such as Matthew and Peter, they recorded that God called him my son and who I am well pleased. And when we are found as believers in Christ, we receive all the spiritual blessings that Jesus was given. Here's a promise that you have as a believer. You can write this verse down, Romans 8.32. It says, He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? You see, God didn't spare his only son. And then Ephesians 1, 3, said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. See, oh man, there's so much redemption, grace, adoption that we are given as believers. In verse 36 of Luke chapter 9, it says, When the voice had ceased, Jesus was found alone. But they kept quiet and told no one in those days any of the things they had seen. You see, in those days, they didn't tell anyone about it. But they couldn't keep quiet about it for too long. Peter clearly remembered this moment in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 16. It says, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but were eyewitness of his majesty. For he received from God the Father honor and glory when such a voice came to him from the excellent glory saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. See, they remembered this powerful experience that showed Jesus in both his glory, as his role as Messiah, the God-man. Do you guys see Jesus in your day-to-day experience. I was once exhorted to not leave my house until that when I looked at the mirror that I didn't see Jesus living through me. May people see Jesus in our lives. You see, one day we are going to see him face-to-face. That's what this is all preparing us for. We, we take time. We want to make time to spend with him to spend with his people because this is all preparation for what's to come trials are are going to be present with us that's one thing that jesus promised us but we keep our eyes on jesus through those we know that he is our our truth our rock he fulfills us that he has a plan for our life So may we, like the disciples, awaken 
May we see Jesus in our day-to-day life, meeting with him. And may, we, may you go forth this week in his grace, knowing that he has an awesome call for you, that he loves you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for, Lord, this uh, it's time that we get to have communion. And Lord, if your Holy Spirit would move now in the hearts of our, of our people here, if there's any of you who, who desire to, to get right with the Lord this morning so that you may have that communion with him, if that's you this morning, just raise your hand. Father, I pray for those who have risen their hand. Father, forgive us, Lord, of our sins. Lord, we desire fellowship with you, and there's things in our life, Lord, that have become hindrances, Lord. I pray, Father, that you would remove them. And I pray, Father, that we would take communion with you seriously, Lord, where it wouldn't just stop on Sunday mornings, Lord, But may we have communion with you every day. May we see your face. Lord, we love you. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. What I want to do is uh, I'm going to sing a song of worship. And as you guys feel led, uh, my dad has communion set up in the back. Go ahead, grab your communion, and then return to your seat and hold on to it because we're going to take communion together. Are you hurting and broken been Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin Jesus is called Have you come to the end of the cell Do you thirst for a drink from the well Jesus is calling to the altar the Father's arms are open wide forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Down before 
Christ is risen. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus so we know what this communion is. The bread represents the body that Jesus had broken for us. The nails that went into his hand, the whipping that was done, the scourging on, on his body. When we have this, this bread as it breaks, we're saying, Lord, I'm, I'm joining you and letting my old man die, the old sinful nature. I'm receiving that you took the punishment for my sins in your body. So let's partake of the bread together. And in that same manner, when the blood was poured out, spilt on the floor, from the cross, the Bible teaches us that there is life in the blood. It was poured out for you and me so that we can receive a new life, so that we can have a, a new covenant where no longer do we need a work for our salvation, but we receive that grace that he's given us of a new life. So when we drink this, we say, thank you, Lord. So let's partake of the cup. Leave behind your regrets and mistakes. Come today, there's no reason to wait. Jesus is calling. Bring your sorrows and trade them for joy. From the ashes a new life is born. Jesus is calling. A single come to. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness was bought with 
the precious blood of Jesus Christ. Bear your cross as you wait for the crown. Tell the world of the treasure you found. Well, may you guys go forward this week. May you walk in his truth and his love. May the Lord shine his face upon you so greatly. May the enemies, may Satan and his demons fear Jesus living through your life this week. May you love your husband. May you love your wife. May you love your children and may they be blessed greatly. And may we look forward to our Jesus, the work that he's going to complete in us. It's in his name. We pray, amen. Let's all finish with this last song. Sunday morning.